We'll title this today, Kingdom Living Instructions for the Strong in Faith. We'll begin in verse 1 in uh, chapter 14. Him that is weak in the faith receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eats herbs. Let not him that eats despise him that eats not, and let not him which eats not judge him that eats, for God has received him. Who are you that judges another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yes, he shall be held up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let every one be persuaded in their own mind. He that regards the day regards it to the Lord. He that regards not the day to the Lord, he does not regard it. He that eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he that eats not, to the Lord he eats not and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that He might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? And why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no one put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in their brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if your brother be grieved with your meat, now you walk uncharitably. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us pray. Father, we come before you now talking again about things that appear to just be everyday things. Eating and drinking and celebrating holidays. And yet, Paul gives a chapter and a half of Romans to talking about how we live together in Christian community. Lord, please let us be children of the kingdom and let us live as children of life in love and compassion and patience with one another. And I pray, Father, as we look at these words today, that you would bless us to understand and to be convicted and to be changed so that we might grow in this grace that you give us freely. In Christ's name, amen. So I said we would title as Kingdom Living, Instructions for the Strong in Faith. Paul has talked about Christian liberty, which we've been going through here in chapter 14. And overall in this letter of Romans from chapter 12 through the end is talking about practical Christian living. 
He's covered the doctrine in the first part of the letter, and now he's talking about practical living. And uh, last time we mentioned that it is essential of how we live together in non-essential matters. It is essential that we, how we live together in love in non-essential matters. And so he's really continuing this. And, and Paul keeps talk. he'll talk about eating and drinking, and then he talks about judgment. And now he's talking about, continues to talk about this, and now he talks about the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. So he keeps talking about things that appear to be little things, like eating and drinking, but then he punctuates it with saying, this is important. We're talking about judgment, righteousness, and the kingdom of God. So which kingdom are you in? First thing Christ said when he began to preach was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We were taught to pray. Let thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. There are two kingdoms in this world. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. These are real kingdoms. And you have been called out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And all of these instructions Paul is giving us here, even though these, you know, if you read through the Romans letter, most of us would say 14 and 15 are not our favorite chapters. Because it seems strange to us to read these. And so just to go back to the context, you're talking about Jews and Gentiles in a church back in 50 A.D. or so where you had pagans coming out of pagan worship where the meat, they were making these sacrifices and this meat was being offered to pagan gods or goddesses and these pagans would come in and be converted to Christianity and there might be a stronger brother who would realize those gods aren't nothing. Paul says that in Corinthians. And we know that that sacrifice to them doesn't mean anything because God tells us that the earth and the fullness thereof is the Lord's. And whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, give thanks to the Lord. And that it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer, he tells us in Timothy. And so there's not anything evil about that meat. But it comes back to the conscience, to each other's conscience and the sacred conscience that we all have being made in the image of God. One of the things I've been talking about is that we all have this ability being made in God's image to reason, judge, and discern. And to do that rightly is to be God's children. To do that wrongly is to do what Paul is instructing us not to do in this letter. We're not to despise each other. We're not to sinfully judge one another. We're to receive each other because Christ has received us. Each of us have scruples and preferences and non-essential matters. We're not to make those matters of church fellowship. And the reason Paul takes so long here is because this is not easy. Is it? 
Whenever we got this sin nature in here and we've got this ability to think and reason, we're always looking and judging and assessing things. And it's easy for us to fall into a critical spirit. But where the Holy Spirit is, we will recognize that. We'll say, no, Lord, I'm not going to be that way. I want to follow these instructions. And as we sit under the preaching of this word, we're going to be transformed and changed. And we're going to say, Lord, I, I want to grow in this. I want to do a better job. You might have even caught yourself this past week starting to go off and realize, I don't need to do that. Uh, I did. I was sitting out in the grocery store parking lot. And uh, this is one of my scruples, pet peeves, what do you call them? When I'm sitting there, when Laurie runs in, she was mailing something. And, and you see people come up and park in the handicapped spot and then get out and walk in. I'd like to go off on them <laughs> and say, you're walking. You don't need to be parking in a hand handicapped place. But, it, you know, that's just our nature, isn't it? That we see something like that, that's wrong, and start condemning. And maybe there's something, maybe, you know, there's something going on there I don't know about. I don't know everything about that person's, that person's situation, do I? No. So I don't need to be judging that situation. So it's easy to see us falling into that day to day. Today, Paul will bring the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as the big thing to punctuate the teaching that we're going to go through today. And this is important. Uh, maybe just to emphasize that a little bit, I was reading, uh, again, you know, you've got the COVID death counters. And I've got mixed feelings about that to start with, first of all, because we've never done that, and it's become so politicized, and you don't know if the information is accurate. But it does punctuate this one thing. Everybody is going to die from the SIN virus. And what kingdom you are in is going to determine your eternal happiness or unhappiness. So far, 6.5 million people have died from the latest judgment of Christ upon this earth. 1.1 million in the USA, 38,000 in the state of Georgia. Now there's a lot more people dying than just that. Every year, every year, 60 million people die. 60 million people every year are going into eternal, eternity, the state where there is no more room for repentance. Where this breath of this life, this vapor that's here and gone tomorrow, will be soon forgotten in millions of years of, again, either happiness or unhappiness. All of those souls have crossed the other side. And we rejoice in those that we know out of our group here that have crossed over that are now eternally happy. And disease can't touch them. Sin can't touch them. Depression, chronic fatigue, inflation, none of that can touch them ever again. And we rejoice that that is the case for those that have gone before us. And so Paul punctuates kingdom living in the here and now, saying it matters how you live together in Christian community. You've been called out of the world into the state of grace. 
Now, the state of grace is above and beyond the 50 states. Beyond the state of Georgia. This is the state of grace. It's a spiritual state that all of those that be in Christ are in. And Jesus describes that in the Sermon on the Mount. With blessed, 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 blessed. And the characteristics of everyone that's in that state. He's now teaching us about how those characteristics are lived out in this community. And so we must lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us as we seek to hear these words and try to understand them and to move forward in growing in grace and holiness. And so Paul has said we're to receive each other. We're not to despise each other. There are strong and weak Christians in the room. The strong... You know, sometimes I think the ones who think they're strong are really the weak ones, and the ones who think themselves weak are really the strong ones. That's probably the way that works. We're not to despise each other or sinfully judge each other. We're to understand that Christ is their Lord, you're not. He's their judge, you're not. Every slave stands or falls before his master. And Christ is the master of all. We don't judge because we don't know how to judge properly. Except by this word of truth. And we will one day be judged on that great day, which was the emphasis last time. And so this mercies of God that we have received enable us to love each other. So here's the main point today that we'll get from verses 13 through 18. You are not to do anything in your Christian liberty that would cause someone else to violate their conscience. Even if it means you must give up your liberty. You're not to do anything in your Christian liberty that would cause someone else to violate their conscience, even if it means you must give up your liberty. So our first point is this. Judge yourself. Judge yourself. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather... That no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way, in his sister's way. So in this kingdom living that we're doing, stop judging others, he's saying here. If you want to judge, then start with yourself. The imperative here in this verse, the command is... Judge this rather, which is judge yourself. Look at yourself. Exercising your Christian liberty in front of someone that violates your brother's conscience or leads them to violate their conscience is wrong. Barnhouse said this in his commentary. He said, we may advise, we may cite our own experience, we may pray, we may point to the Word of God, we may seek to enlighten but we may never command the conscience of another believer in non-essential matters. 
in Matthew 18, 2 through 11, I think gives us some light in this matter. I actually did a sermon on this not too long ago uh, in Matthew 18, 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So that is the character that we have to have to, to live in this kingdom. The character of a child, the humility of a child. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little one in my name receives me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believes in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So Paul is saying here in Romans 14, you need to judge yourself and make sure you don't put a stumbling block in front of someone. Because it would be better if you took that stumbling block and tied it to your neck and you were drowned into the sea than to offend one of God's children. He goes on there in that text of Matthew. He says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. And then he would go on and say, It's better for you to cut off your hand or pluck out your eye than to offend one of Christ's little ones. And everyone in here that is a believer is one of Christ's little ones. And we are to take care not to offend them to the best of our ability. We are to go above and beyond to seek not to offend them. And so as we move into the next verse, Paul moves to explain why we are to judge ourselves and our behavior and our liberty in such a way that we would not cause someone else to fall. Which is our second point. This uncleanness resides in the conscience and, and in the motives and not in the food. Paul says in verse 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Again, Paul is using the illustration of food here. But there's a principle of behavior that applies. That we have to consider in everything we do. So Paul says, I'm knowing persuaded that there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him or her that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So it's not the thing itself that's unclean. They have come to a conviction in their conscience about something. And if they violate their conscience, they have sinned against their conscience. Maybe one illustration here. If you know somebody who has uh, related to alcohol, drinking of alcohol, um, Jesus made wine. The Bible talks about wine making glad the heart of man. What the Bible forbids is drunkenness. But if there's someone who has a propensity towards drunkenness, and you know that, and you drink wine in front of them at a meal or something, that could cause them to say, well, you know, it's just a little one. That you could cause them to stumble and to fall back into drunkenness. You should go out of your way 
And don't drink in front of them. Don't have that glass of wine in front of them. Because wine in itself is not unclean, right? What did Jesus say? In Mark 7.15, there's nothing from without of us that defiles us. And the Pharisees came and said, well, no, you've got to wash your hands, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to jump this high when you do it. Or you can't make it into the kingdom of God. No. Paul will say a little bit later, we'll get to that, right? You know, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking and doing all of these things. Where does the uncleanness come from? Inside. It comes from inside. There is nothing from without a man that enters into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile him. And so Paul says here, I know and am persuaded of the Lord Jesus. There's nothing unclean of itself. But to, if you have considered and come to a conviction on it and you think it's unclean to that person, it's unclean. And so Paul would explain here in 1 Corinthians 8, 7, which we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 8 and look at this. It'll help give some light because he's talking about the same thing there. He says there in verse 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience... In their conscience, of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. He's talking there again about this meat that was offered to these pagan goddesses. And if they eat it and they, in their conscience, think it's unclean, then their conscience is going to be defiled. And so if the stronger Christian ate the meat offered to an idol in front of that weaker Christian who believed the meat was defiled, that stronger Christian could caused a violation of the conscience of that weaker believer. That's a principle that we're given about things that we do in this life. So our third point is, don't violate your brother or sister's conscience. Realize how precious the conscience is. God gave us this conscience along with the Holy Spirit in this Word to guide us in this life. The conscience is precious. The moral law in some way is written upon our conscience. And in verse 15, Paul here says, But if your brother be grieved with your meat, now you walk not charitably. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. And so again, a commentator said this, which I think is good. He said, it is a Christian duty to think of everything, not as it affects ourselves only, but as it affects others also. We are a body of believers. And we have those beautiful pictures of that where Paul says, even in chapter 12 that we've already gone through, each of you are given gifts for the purpose of helping each other on to glory. God is using you as a means in your brother and sister's life to help sanctify you and prepare you for glory. That's the beauty of the church, is that we're not to be stumbling blocks to each other, we're to be helpers together for their 
joy. I just got a book from me and Marvin that just came out uh, from a pastor that's called Helpers of Your Joy. And the whole point of the book is that elders, my responsibility is to help you see the joy that we have in Christ and in kingdom living. And that as we love each other and we care for each other as Christ cared for us and lay down our lives even for each other as Christ laid down His life for us, that we are increasing His joy and our joy. So don't violate your brother or sister's conscience. Let's not be stumbling blocks. Let us consider them. Let us not grieve them. We are not an island. We're not to use our Christian liberty in a way that would cause the others to stumble. So let's just look a little bit further at that 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Where Paul is saying much of the same thing. I'll just read through it and it will help us uh, have some light on what we're reading here. Uh, in verse 4 he says, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. And then down in verse 9, he says, But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. We are to take heed lest where we think we might have liberty in something in our culture, behavior, and non-essential matters that we don't cause someone else to be grieved or to violate their conscience. In verse 10, For if any man sees you which have knowledge, knowledge that an idol is nothing, and that the meat is not unclean, if you sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? You might cause him to go against his conscience. And through your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. And then your Christian liberty has actually become a bad thing. And... You see the strong language there in that verse 11? And through your knowledge of Christian liberty shall the weak brother perish. Why does Paul use such strong words here? He uses the word destroy in Romans. Destroy him not with your meat. That's strong language, Paul. We know that someone that's in Christ is in Christ eternally. So what are you saying here, Paul? Paul is saying that you can so wound their conscience that you can cause them a grief like hell on earth. Think about it. What is hell? The torment of hell is the worm that dies not. And so the worm that dies not, as I understand it, is immediately upon death. The rich man lifted up his eyes in torment over there that we read in that parable that Jesus told. And that torment is that for the first time in his life, his conscience is completely awake. Unseared. 
and sensitive as it was meant to be. And it's going to be like that forever. And that conscience, precious conscience that God gave him to guide him in life toward Christ, that he is seared and covered up and explained away and excused, is now awake, gnawing at him like a worm, gnawing forever and ever. So the conscience is precious and important and brings great joy in being cleansed and washed or great agony. And I think Paul uses such strong words here again to emphasize how precious the conscience is and that we're not to do anything that would wound somebody's conscience and cause them to be in an agony. Grieve not. So you should prayerly, prayerfully consider anything that you do. So let's think about it. What are some illustrations of some things that might cause offense in this life? Yoga pants. Now I know Tim Hawkins has a really funny song about yoga pants. And yoga pants have become a kind of a cultural thing. And it amazes me that anybody would wear anything outside the house like that, personally. Uh, I heard a, read a story a few years ago about some young uh, men that were going to Notre Dame University. And they wrote this article to the school newspaper or on a blog or something, just, and they quoted some scriptures about uh, proper dress and sexual purity and holiness. And the day after they wrote that article on Notre Dame campus, Probably not every girl, but just about every young woman on campus wore yoga pants in defiance against anybody that would tell them what to do. And so those young men had a choice to make. Am I going to keep going to this university or not? What's another example well, we got all kinds of things. We've got proper dress at church. What about Bible versions? Uh, I've already spoken about drinking wine or drinking alcohol. Uh, there's other things in Southern culture. Alcohol, tattoos, piercings, uh, length of skirts. Uh, speaking of divorce, it became an issue in the church that it should never have become where divorce became an unforgivable sin. Uh, anything in the culture can possibly be a stumbling block to someone else in the room. And so as believers, we should prayerfully consider anything that we're going to do with this body and probably go talk to some of the older, wiser people in the church and ask for opinions. I want dreadlocks. I'm going to stop combing my hair for the next six months. You know, should we consider that or not? Or is that a person's personal liberty? Should they not consider other people's conscience in the room? I think we should consider each other's conscience. We should have wisdom. We should pray over things. If we have the tenderness of heart and love for each other, we should be careful in everything we do. 
John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. How will they know if we are Christians? By our love, by our love. They will know that we are Christians by our love. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Are we willing, if a person is willing to lay down their life for a friend, would be willing to give up something if it might cause offense to another person in the room. And, and this is where the struggling and the difficulty of the Christian life comes in. Isn't it? Yes. Where you have to think over these things. And we have to consider them. And we have to consider how we live. So, so, you know, I, I counsel my daughters whenever they're moving towards marriage that they need to be aware uh, what the young man thinks about how you're going to educate your children. What kind of music do they like to listen to? Do they believe in the doctrines of grace? I mean, things like that can help there be a, more of a like-mindedness in marriage that can contribute to the peace and the longevity of the marriage. And so they're just things that are wise things that should be considered. In everything that we do, we are speaking. We are walking letters. And how we love one another in these things is important. Because all of the things I just mentioned, yoga pants and that whole list, none of those things save or damn anyone, right? Again, the kingdom of God is not about these things we would say are non-essential things. But we still must be careful in these things that if there's a weaker brother or sister, that we don't violate their conscience. Matthew 16, 24 through 27 Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with the angels and then shall reward everyone according to His works. The reason I read that is that we should be willing to lay down our life as Christ laid down His life. Christ never had anything. He didn't even have a pillow to lay His head on. And He was always considering. The only ones that He offended were the ones who needed to be offended. The wicked those who are not his sheep. And for those who are his sheep, when Jesus comes with hard words, even today, words like this with us today, what a sheep will hear that and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to hear these things. I want to obey them. I want to live in such a way that when I, if I do something different or culturally or whatever, that I'm not doing it for the wrong reason. I'm not doing it to draw attention to myself. I'm not doing it to be seen. Help me, Lord, in whatever I do, in my Christian liberty, to do it in such a way that it will not detract from your glory. And so we have love one to another 
We're willing to give up things if it will injure someone else's conscience. And, and, Christ, and Paul here kind of punches it, this last little phrase here in this verse on 15, in Romans 14, 15, because he says, Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Christ poured out his very life blood for that person. His very life blood to wash their conscience and cleanse them so that they might have peace and joy in the kingdom. Don't offend them. Don't offend them. And so we see here today that love is violated if we make someone in the room grieve for ever so slight a reason. We see that the conscience is precious, that Christ died to wash it. And we should not do anything to violate another's conscience. And lastly, we see here, he'll speak of in verse 16, if this liberty that Christ has bought for us is so great, and it is, we must do everything we can to see that it is not slandered. To the best of our ability, we need to make sure this Christian liberty that we have to live and be free and not have to do rituals or things or the law to be saved. We're free. We're at liberty in Christ. We're free. We're free to obey the moral law. Hallelujah. We're free from slavery to sin so that now we can, in the Spirit of Christ, keep the moral law. We're free to love one another rather than only ourselves. And this liberty is good, and we must do everything we can to see that it's not slandered, which is, I believe, what Paul is saying here in verse 16. He says, let, then your good, let not then your good be evil spoken of. This good liberty that we are given, let it not be evil spoken of. Life is short. The pleasures and liberties of this life are going to be overshadowed by eternal pleasures and liberty. So even if we have to give up some liberties and things that we do have here to help a weaker brother, so what? Eternal liberty is coming. And then in verse 17, for, there's that word again, Paul uses all the time. This is his argument of why we need to pay attention and be careful with each other and to love one another, not violate each other's conscience. For, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? That we don't have to keep the Old Testament diet anymore? You southerners would be in trouble without your pork. Isn't it great that we have the liberty to not have to follow all of these rules and regulations and all of this stuff to try to achieve some level of holiness? We're free from that. Rejoice. Rejoice in kingdom living. Be helpers of joy to each other. There's a bigger reality at stake. There's a bigger reality at stake than your Christian liberty. And just like Paul had punctuated all of this kindness and love toward each other and how we live, how we judge each other, how we speak to each other. He had punctuated it before with speaking of judgment. Christ is the master. 
we are not. He says here, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is about the necessity of righteousness. I think there's two kinds of righteousness talking about there. This kingdom is talking about the fact that Paul stated in the very beginning of this letter that there is none righteous, no, not one. And Jesus Christ has come to you in faith and has given you His perfections so that you can stand righteous before God. But in the kingdom, as we live now in this fallen world, He's also working in you through each other in the gifts He's given as you love one another to help sanctify and to prepare you for the coming perfection of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is about peace. It's about peace. And you must first have peace with God before you can have any peace at all. And that's what Paul says in Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Have you ever had a violated conscience? And I know all of you have. Because you're sinners in this world. You know what it's like to not have peace. If any of you is married here, you know what it's like not to have peace from time to time. And there's nothing more painful than that. To have a relationship broken. Situation at work where there is strife. And there's nothing more glorious than peace. Perfect peace that comes from Christ. This kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace. We are peacekeepers and peacemakers of this perishable, valuable conscience and souls of each other. That's why we work hard to keep peace and to maintain the peace here in this room and in the world. Let thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is where? What kind of peace do you think there is in heaven right now? Perfect peace. And as we pray that prayer, the, the Master taught us to pray. We're praying that it would be increasing here, right? Let thy kingdom come, thy will be done here just like it is in heaven. Let the peace continue. Let the peace grow. This kingdom of God is about joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. We're talking about that fear of God on Wednesday nights. And I am telling you, I could, side note, I am praying that God would so change you through the study on this book that you would know it and realize it as we study about the fear of God. Fear of God is that joy you're feeling in the room right now if you're in Christ. And through the singing of the songs, you're feeling that sense of peace. And even coming in here, I love to come in here in the mornings and spend some time with the Lord in prayer. That pleasure we have when we linger after services or after communion, where you just want to hang around and talk to each other, you're sensing that the fear of God, which is love and joy and peace. 
This is the kingdom we're praying for to increase here in this room. This is that kingdom. That's an everlasting kingdom. Daniel 2.44 And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. When the United States is gone and Russia and China and all of these arrogant, saber-rattling, evil governments this kingdom is going to bust them in pieces and grow until it consumes the entire earth. What were we told by the Master in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. Everything you need in this life will be added to you. Jesus answered in John 3, 3 and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man or a woman be born again, they cannot see it. There's nothing, I think, more sad than the multitudes of people who are living for nothing more than the, to build their kingdom in this life. They're consumed with this world and money, and their fame, or whatever their little kingdom is they're trying to get in this world. It's so sad to see it. They are deceived. They don't understand what's at stake. Even sadder are those who will be in churches like this one on the last day that will stand up and say, Lord, Lord, and He'll say, I never knew you. I pray and I hope there's none here today that the Word would come like a hammer and break your cold, dead heart and wake you up. The kingdom of God is at hand. And it's a kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy. For the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 There's power in this kingdom to change. You don't have to be afraid of viruses. You don't have to be afraid of all of the propaganda that's in the media. You don't have to be afraid of the dollar continuing to fall or inflation. You don't have to be afraid of any of those things. And you shouldn't be. Take no thought for tomorrow. There's power in this kingdom. Joy, peace, and righteousness. And the unrighteous shall not inherit this kingdom. Don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers, of the, which is LGBTQ, will not inherit the kingdom of God apart from righteousness and faith in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he, he's asking you, walk worthy of this kingdom. who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. We are occupiers in enemy territory. Isn't that right? You're called to occupy. You're in the kingdom of light. You're aliens. You're from another planet. This is not your home. This world is not your home. You have a, another world, a heavenly Jerusalem that is coming. And these instructions here or to tell you, as you occupy here, 
It should be clearly seen which kingdom you're in by how you love each other, treat each other, receive each other, love each other, give up your liberty for one another if needed. And then in verse 18, For he that in these things serve Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. So as we do these things in the kingdom of God, we are serving Christ, and this is acceptable to Him. Don't you want to please your Father? I know all the kids here, you take delight in pleasing your parents. And we want to take delight in pleasing our Father by serving Him in these things. And it's acceptable to God, and it's even approved of men. Even our enemies will be at peace with us when they say, you know, there's something different about that bunch. Whenever we take care to live this way, People will believe in supernatural love when they see it being acted out. But where you see churches being torn up with strife and division, the world's going to look at that and say, that's nothing but a social club. They're not any different than we are. What's the difference? Where's the difference? The difference is in love, joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. It makes a difference in how we live. And so just in closing, again, I charge the fathers and the head of your household, those are the heads of your household, that you are responsible to live this out in front of your family so that you are using your mouth, your tongue, your language in front of your kids to your wife in such a way that you're setting the example of how to do this. That you are leading your family in family worship Every night if possible. There's an example that's set when you sit down at night to the holy family altar and you talk about these things. This is what we heard this week, Sunday. Let's talk about it a little bit here. Help the children digest the Word. When you give diligence to do that in your homes, you're speaking that. You believe this has gravity and weight. For your kids will see your behavior and they'll follow your example all the way through life. So let us be following after Christ. And let us remember He purchased us with His own blood. We just sang that song. And I was thinking about those lyrics. It said, uh, it talks about every day we prove His wounds more healing. I started out by talking about how everybody's going to die and yet we live. I don't mean to be depressing by saying that. I mean to just state the fact. That's a fact and a reality. And that we all have a, a virus, the SIN virus, that we're going to die from. But there is a cure in the blood of Christ. And we all have leprosy. I'm telling you, you got leprosy till the day you die. It's a soul leprosy. And there may be times that disease breaks out and ugliness. And we were singing that song, and I was thinking, every day we prove His wounds more healing. He is a present tense Savior. So if you have failed and you've got sin or weakness, every day His wounds prove to be more and more healing. He is continuing through that sacrifice, pouring out this healing 
changing, affecting sacrifice so that we might live like we're being instructed to live here.